Our reading today comes from the book of Mark, chapter 8, 27 through chapter 9, verse 8. Jesus and his disciples went into the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say that I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called, and the, he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And then he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. The word of the Lord. If I was to ask you six days ago, what happened? Would you be able to recall it? Most of you, probably not. I have a theory, <clears throat> of course I have a theory, that if it's something that is extraordinary or different or out of the ordinary, it's something that you would remember. But if it's normal, day-to-day -day stuff, it's just going to blend into the every other day, just like every other day blends into every other day. I have two very specific times in my life where I remember that six-day period. The first one was about 30 years ago. I got a phone call uh, from an attorney that said, um, 
this baby has been born and you can come and get him in six days. And my heart dropped and sank and fluttered and rejoiced and I was scared to death and excited all at the same time. And six days later, we met the attorney in his office and he put Josh in my arms. And then it happened again 27 years ago. I get a call from an attorney, your little girl has been born. And six days later, we went and picked her up at the attorney's house. Very specifically, I can remember that six-day span of time. If you would ask me what happened six days ago, I can actually tell you, because I was on vacation, and I did something that was different than I normally do. Six days ago, I believe I was in Cozumel, and I was snorkeling. Different. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily advise snorkeling in the Scioto River. Um, I don't think you would see some of the fabulous things I saw in Cozumel. But because it was different, it left an imprint. There was something in my mind that I can remember what happened six days ago. So in chapter 9 of Mark, verse 2, it said, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up to the high mountain where they were all alone. What happened six days before this? It has to have, something must have been there for, for the scriptures to actually call it out. I mean, it's detail that, it's like, okay, what happened? What was there? Well, the text that Tammy read for us actually tells us what happened and why the, the six days prior was so important as it begins to really sink in what's going to happen in a very short amount of time. Jesus is with his disciples and he's inquisiting them. Who do the people say that I am? Well, some would say Elijah. Some would say you're John the Baptist, reincarnated. So they were all telling him what they had heard different people say. And then he turns to them and he says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, of course, Peter, steps up boldly. You are the Messiah. It says in verse 29, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the chosen one, the Savior, the Son of God. You are Him. I recognize you. And Jesus' response. Jesus warned him not to say this to anyone. God Himself revealed to Peter, tells us in some of the other Gospels, that, that He was, that Jesus was the Messiah. What is God revealing to you? Do you expect God to reveal anything to you? We'll get more about that in a minute. Verse 31. Jesus is teaching them, The Son of Man must suffer many things. He will be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed. And after three days he will rise again. So Jesus tells them, the Messiah must suffer. You say, I'm the Messiah? The Messiah must suffer. I'm going to be rejected. And yes, they're going to kill me. They're literally going to kill me. And then Peter, after this huge, you are the Messiah, and this praise from the Son of God says, yes, you got it. He turns around, get behind me, Satan. Rebukes him. Can you imagine what that felt like? 
We keep going. Verse 34 says this. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their lives will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, it's going to cost you everything. In Jesus' world, in that time in the Roman world, that if you picked up a cross, you weren't going to lay it down. They were going to nail you to it, and it was a death sentence. And so Jesus is painting a picture very clear that if you truly want to follow me, it could cost you everything. Do you still want to follow me? Do you still want to be a disciple of Jesus? Do you still want to be a part of what Jesus is a part of? Are you willing to give it up? And then he moves on in verse 38. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them. And he comes with his Father's glory and with the holy angels. That if we deny who he is, if we know who he is, we can call him out as the Messiah, if we are a part of him, and we say, I'm, I'm, I'm too embarrassed, I can't do this in front of anybody, I don't want to talk about this. In our culture, religion is very private, and we don't want to talk about our relationship with Jesus. It's interesting that actually this morning as we came in, the donut guy came in, and one of our dear old ladies um, from the traditional service met him there at the door and was just kind of small talk. And she got asking him about how he was doing, and he kind of welled up, and he said, not well. My dad has cancer, my dog has cancer, my marriage is in trouble. And I happened to be walking by right then, and she called me over. And she said, Joe, this is um, Lester, and Lester is in a lot of pain. And so we took a moment, and we just kind of prayed. And he said, well, I'm not a very religious guy. And I said, I'm not looking for you to be religious, but I would love for you to have a relationship with the one I call Jesus. And that's what I would want for you is that you would not be religious, but that you would have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think that's what God is calling us to as church. That's what God is calling each one of us to as individuals. And that dear old lady being willing to share her faith with the donut guy. I'm not sure what he expected when he walked into a church, but it probably wasn't that. Dottie Winter is who it was. She did an awesome job. But what we see at the end of 9 is that it all com- culminates into glory. That Jesus is here to point the way to the Father, to glorify the Father. In all the suffering and all the pain and everything that's going to come, he's going to point the way to the Father. And then we finally get to verse 2 in chapter 9. It says this. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. And he took them with him and led them up to a high mountain where they were all alone, and there he was transfigured before him, before them. I want you to see a key word. Jesus took. Our relationship with God, our relationship with Jesus is initiated by God. 
that God invites us in and initiates a relationship with him. And so if you're filling out the little fill in the blanks, your answer to number two is invitation by God. God does the work. God comes to us and says, come with me. Come, follow me. Come, be my disciple. Come, I want you to come and see. Now why he picked these three? He picks these three a lot, actually, and takes them to different places. But he picks these three, and I honestly, I don't know why these three. He had a relationship with them, a different kind of relationship with them than he did with the others. But he's God, and he wants to choose what he wants to choose, and I'm good with that. And if Jesus has chosen to have a relationship with you, I hope you respond to that. Because he is God, and he specifically wants to build that bridge with you. And so we see him pick these three, and they go up to the mountain. I'd love to hear that conversation at the bottom of the mountain, wouldn't you? Well, they always get to go. I wonder why they took him. They're their favorites. I know he's kind of sounds like when we want to change worship around here. Sorry, I couldn't resist that. But he takes these three up and he's, he's changed. He's transfigured. From the inside out, he's different than what they've seen him before. He literally pulls back the curtain and they see him for who he is. God himself, the son of God. He's different than what they've seen. I also want you to notice that he took Peter, James, and John, and not just one of them, but he took three of them. I think he wants us to be in community. We are built for community. We are not built to do this Christian thing alone to be a follower of Jesus alone. Me and Jesus, that's all I need. No, it's me and Jesus in the church, the body of Christ. Even though we are flawed, even though we are imperfect, even though we're going to hurt you, he calls us to be together, to walk this walk together with each other. And we are stronger together than we are not. When we fall, we've got someone there to pick us up Three strands cord is not easily broken. Jesus calls three of them to go up the mountain with him. He's calling us to come together as community to go. It's about relationship with each other, with our Father and with Jesus. Together. It's relationship, relationship, relationship. Part of the reason we're pushing a small group so hard is because we want you to be in relationship with each other. And when you come to a big church like this, it's hard to know who to connect with. And a small group can help you connect and be a part to encourage you, to support you, to cheer you on, to celebrate with you. He took Peter, James, and John up the mountain. Together they had relationship. We move on to verse 4. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. I always wondered... Do they have name tags on? Hello, my name is Elijah. How did he know that it was Elijah and Moses? Jesus, Elijah, Peter, Moses, James. But somehow they knew. They knew. And what you see here is Moses, the giver of the law. Elijah, the greatest prophet of all times. 
You've got the law and the prophets and Jesus. How does God deal with humanity? These three men embody all of it, even to this day. The law and the prophets and the Lamb of God, the sacrifice of God. This is how Jesus, this is how God deals with us still. And Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, to wipe out Moses, but to fulfill the law. To complete the law. And all the prophecies point the way to Jesus, point the way to what Jesus is going to do and come and be a part of. And point the way to Jesus, to the Father. And there they are, the three of them. Which then takes us right to Peter. And I love this. I'm going to jump down to six and then come back to five. Because this is, this is a lot of us. Verse six says this. He did not know what to say because he was frightened. And verse 5 says, so Peter said, okay. So how many of us, when we don't know what to say, we say something stupid? I do. And sometimes it's just better to be quiet and listen. But Peter didn't know what to say, so he jumped in to his Peter mode, and he goes, okay, there are three of them, and these are really important people, so I think, you know, let's... It's a good thing we're here. I'm going to build three shelters so that you're protected and that you've got a place to stay. And maybe we can stay right here for a long time because this is really cool. What's interesting is, is that he gets no response. Jesus doesn't turn to him and say, stop it or great idea or he just ignores him. He's busy. He's got things to do. But God himself brings a cloud and covers them. And what Peter couldn't do, God did. This cloud envelops the mountaintop, covers the mountaintop. What an image. Reminds me of Moses as he's on the mountain getting the law, getting the Ten Commandments. The cloud covered the mountain. It reminds me of when The prophet was on Mount Carmel and he calls down fire to burn the sacrifice. They had been on the mountain before. And now Jesus is on the mountain with the two of them. And God shows up. God is there in their midst and covers them. And then the important thing in verse 7 that I want you to see. The end of verse 7, he says this. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. This is my son. Listen to him. How do we do that? How do we listen to him? This is his word. This is how we listen to him. Coming to church, hearing different sermons is how we listen to him. In our personal quiet times as we get still and quiet and listen to him. And I believe with all that I have inside of me that if you ask to hear the voice of God, that you will. I'm always amazed I could be in a room full of people and I hear a kid cry and that kid's mother recognizes that cry amongst any other cry in the room. Isn't that true? It's incredible. Have we come to the place where you recognize the voice of God. 
And it's something that I think we can learn. That we can literally ask God, teach me to hear your voice. And he will honor that prayer and we can learn to hear his voice because he says, this is my son. Listen to him. And so I want to challenge you this week. We're coming on to Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is this week. And Ash Wednesday will lead into Lent, which will bring us into Easter, where we will celebrate the risen Christ. We will follow him through his death and celebrate his resurrection. But this week, I want you to take some time this weekend. Every time you put your feet on the ground, when you wake up in the morning, I want you to take a moment and say, Lord, I want to hear your voice today. And then try to shut out the world and all the stuff of the world and hear his voice and listen to where he might take you. Pay attention to what you might see. I think God is ready to speak to us, but we need to be, have ears to hear. And so, and if it goes well this week, this could become a great Lenten practice all the way through until Easter. And I believe within 40 days, we would recognize God's voice if we would just take the time. As soon as your feet hit the floor, Lord, I want to hear Jesus today. And then listen. And try to listen all day. And see how you do. And if, if you forget, start the next day. And if you feel like you, you know, got partway through the day and you blew it, okay, start the next day. It's okay. But let's try together and encourage each other. Ask me next week, how did it go? How did it go? Listening for the voice of Jesus. Listening to God. And I'm going to conclude with verse 8. Suddenly, then they looked around, and they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. No one there, only Jesus. Our focus, our Redeemer, our salvation. So often we get tied up in other stuff. We have a great band. We have great singers. And so often we get tied up in wanting to hear them instead of to hear Jesus. We have great preachers. Aaron and Steve are awesome. And we get tied up in who's my favorite preacher and we miss Jesus. We get stuck in I like this room or that room or kind of furniture or whatever. We get stuck in and we miss Jesus. And he needs to be our focus. And so as we come together, as we are brothers and sisters, as God has called us to be unified with each other, with him, our focus needs to be Jesus, the only one. And it's so easy to stick anything else into that spot. Anything. So as we move on, let me, let me just finish filling out the gaps because I ran over them and some of you are going to go crazy trying to figure out what I wanted to say here. So <clears throat> I think I got number two. Number three was our expedition of faith is not a journey that we walk alone. This is a good review of what you just should have heard. Number four is Jesus is always at the center of our spiritual lives. 
Peter did not know what to say. God says, listen to him, number six. And number seven, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Our focus is Jesus alone. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the story, the transfiguration, literally pulling back the curtain to reveal Jesus to these disciples for who he was, the Son of God. Thank you that he came to fulfill the law, to fulfill the prophecies. Thank you that he came to save us. Father, we confess that it's so easy to be distracted by so many things. Help us to hear Jesus' voice. Help us to focus only on Jesus. And it's in that precious name, that precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.